0: As we continue our series in First Peter, our teaching this week comes from chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Hear the word of the Lord. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the Spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, Use it to serve one another, as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Good morning, everyone. Peace be with you. My name is Dodds, and I'm one of the pastors here at Sojourn Heights. I'm very glad to be with you all this morning as we continue our series in the book of 1 Peter. This is a letter that the Apostle Peter wrote to the exiled church concerning the living hope that we have in Christ and the manner of living that this hope inspires and produces in us. This is new humanity, the church. Last week, we considered how Peter used baptism to underscore his larger argument, that we should suffer faithfully for righteousness' sake, knowing that we follow in the footsteps of Jesus our exemplar and Savior. This week, Peter is adding another very important point to his argument. Because the fulfillment of God's covenant promises has come through the work of Christ, and his Spirit, we the Church, are being called to exercise self-control amidst suffering so that God would be glorified in every way through our love for one another. Peter is showing us that growth and maturity in the body of Christ begins with mastering and controlling ourselves as new creations. Though we're born as children, In Christ, we are destined and charged to mature to adulthood, to become faithful kings and queens in our world, emulating the life of our faithful king and extending his dominion in the world. Thusly, our development as image bearers is contingent upon the pursuit of self-control, both individually and corporately. In order to effectively love one another, It's imperative that we grow up into Christ through mastering ourselves. To begin this morning, I want to look first at a verse, uh, verse 7 in our text, because it's there that Peter states something very important regarding the larger context into which he's writing. Peter writes, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. At first, we might wonder to what end Peter is referring. Is he referring to Christ's return? Maybe to the end of the space-time continuum? Or perhaps an end of another kind? The words here are substantial. End is the word telos, meaning goal or purpose. The words all things mean everything, and the words at hand are better translated as here or arriving or upon us. So Peter isn't talking about the end of the world or Christ's return. Peter is saying the telos of the old covenant is upon us. The goal, the purpose of everything that came before is here. At the time of this letter, Jerusalem and the temple were on the brink of destruction. The sacrificial system was coming to an end, and so all the old covenant types and shadows were passing away, and the aim of everything had been accomplished in Christ's ascension and the coming of the Holy Spirit. This is what birthed the church, the new city, and the new temple of God. And in chapters 1 and 2, Peter tells his audience that they are God's redeemed people, called to be holy in the wilderness, delivered by the blood of a greater Passover lamb, commanded to love God and neighbor, formed into a greater temple and a greater priesthood. These things were all at hand. These people were entering into the final stage in the history of redemption, the final stage that we live in as well, which calls for greater maturity and wisdom and holiness. We are the temple and priesthood of which Israel's temple and priesthood were but a shadow. Because all of this has come, Peter said, be self-controlled. If we truly understand this monumental shift in redemptive history, we will take the Christian calling very seriously. We will exercise mastery over ourselves for the sake of the nations, and we will sing and pray and offer living sacrifices to see the kingdom come. Let's return to the text again in verse 1 and read through verse 5. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. But they will give accounts to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. So, Peter says that since Christ suffered in the body for us for righteousness' sake, in order to bring us to the Father, we should equip ourselves with the same kind of thinking. Paul will call this having the mind of Christ in his letter to the Philippian church. It's the kind of living and thinking that cultivates humility and abandons greed and pride, that casts aside self-obsession and pours itself out generatively for others. As Paul will say to the Corinthian church, and I'm paraphrasing here, Christ suffered and died for you so that you might no longer live for yourself, but for God. People of God, united to Christ through baptism, will no longer see their lives or their bodies as their own. No longer will they live for or be ruled by sin or human passions, but by the will of God. And in the midst of reminding us about our ransom from the kingdom of darkness, Peter tells us to arm ourselves with the mind of Christ, to be diligent and self-controlled living, self-mastery, and devotion to sober-minded prayer. Self-mastery is so important for our life as the church and for our individual lives within the church. The Bible is regularly telling us that as we cultivate a greater rule over our lives, it will enhance our ability to love and serve others in greater freedom. Jean-Jacques Rousseau, who was a Genevan philosopher, once wrote, Man is born free, and everywhere else he is in chains. But the Bible says it's just the opposite. As men and women, we are born as slaves, but it is our destiny to become rulers, which are the most free kind of people that there are. We have always been meant to mature from slaves to free people, from childhood to adulthood. When God created humanity in the form of Adam and Eve, their basic charge was to exercise dominion over all creation and to extend God's kingdom. And though they sin and, sinned and failed in their charge, God's mandate for, human, uh, for humankind remained. So as descendants of Adam and Eve, we are still charged to govern portions of creation, which includes especially ourselves. In our jobs, our marriages, our friendships, our parenting, our varied responsibilities, We have all inherited areas of the world over which we must rule and steward, whether they're many or few, large or small. And in order to do that in wisdom and self-control, we must start by ruling ourselves. If we don't devote ourselves to self-governance, we will naturally be governed by others and other things, and our interior impulses will become the wheel we use to steer ourselves. Just to give some imagery to to what we're talking about, let's consider a few Proverbs that that speak to self-control and self-mastery. We'll just look at three. Proverbs 12.18 says, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Without self-control we hurt people with our words and with our actions, but with it we can bring healing. Proverbs 16.32 says, Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Imagine what determination is required for someone to take a city. God says that the person who can Master their emotions the, the one who is slow to anger is even greater. Proverbs 25:28 says, "A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. Maybe we could sit in that image for just a moment. Without self-control, we become like pillaged cities without proper defense. Life is hard in cities where protection is lacking and theft is regular. There are so many other proverbs to consider, but I think that these really give us an idea of what we are charged to bring under control, our control through God's word, his people, and the power of the Spirit. Because in baptism, our entire bodies are rendered unto God and marked for resurrection living. So our entire beings are to be mastered—our eyes, our mouths, our bodies, our organs, our words, our thoughts, our emotions, our addictions, our desires. Think about just this aspect. A job that every single one of us has, a job that every single one of us has to master as we grow up is deciding what to say, when to say it, and how to say it. And that is not something that comes naturally to us. Our our personhood, our bodies, it's like we've been handed an instrument that we are spending the rest of our lives learning how to play. And that requires practice and diligence and focus to play in a way that is more and more generative, that more and more produces life around us. But that's what we have been charged by God to do in our cultivation of ourselves and our world. Because it's every bit a part of our dominion rule as little kings and queens. If we want to rule well, if you want to rule well, you must be about the regular practice of mastering your desires, your body, your emotions, your words, your very self. We become more kingly and queenly as we govern ourselves to God's glory, but more slave-like and childish as we avoid self-control. Think about it this way. There are times when we feel nervous. We're in context where we feel nervous and we need to feel at ease. Maybe the situation calls for us to be at ease even though we are not. There are times when we're distracted maybe by a looming deadline, but because we're at a birthday party, we need to practice self-control by engaging people and celebrating. How often are we telling children, whether they are our own or not, to act and operate in a certain way despite what they feel or desire? It's a lot of the time if not all the time. And hopefully we're not just trying to make them more palatable companions, but children who will one day be rulers themselves. This is why self-mastery is so important. Now before we go running out to implement all of this, as I'm sure all of you are eager to do, that's, that's not ironic, I, I really do hope that you are. Let's continue reading from verse 7 through 11. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever amen see we aren't we aren't pursuing self mastery for its own sake we pursue self control and self mastery in order to become more and more a people who live lives of self-donation and earnest love for the good of others and the glory of God. It's true of marriage. It's true of friendship. It's true of community. The extent to which we are able to master ourselves is the extent to which we can offer ourselves to others. If we can't master ourselves, we are less capable of giving ourselves to other people. In marriage, friendship, and the community of faith, we can be chained to other things like greed, ambition, fear, self-obsession, or any addictions, any number of addictions, and those can rob us of our ability to give ourselves to others in love, hospitality, service, prayer. When we vow in marriage, when we covenant with one another in this community, it it requires that we realize the gravity of promising to belong to one another. For your friends, for your spouse, for your brothers and sisters in Christ, your children, your parish, your neighbors. Your intention to give of yourself to those people includes a promise to govern and control yourself in such a way that you actually have a person to offer them. In this pursuit, we are intentionally keeping ourselves in order so that we would be of increasing good to one another. And in order for you and I to offer ourselves as living sacrifices, ongoingly, we we must be diligent in making ourselves even better instruments for this work. We must continually be sharpening ourselves through various means. Consider God himself. Jesus himself, the triune God, he rules himself in complete authority, but it hasn't led him to be self-obsessed or conceited. It hasn't caused him to withhold himself from other people. Rather, he is altogether self-donating in all of his action. Jesus self-donating in all of his action, the Holy Spirit self-donating in all of his action. God's perfect self-rule has expanded to greater rule, to greater love and provision and intimacy and union with his creation. As Peter was talking about before, sensual living, sexual immorality, over-desires that rule us, drunkenness and false worship. It's not only that these things are just sinful. They are. (laughs) But these are places where self-donation is unneeded and unnecessary, even unavailable. When we engage in these things, we become more ruled and less rulers. More childish slaves than adults. Licentious living never requires you to give of yourself. It only invites you to take. And it only gives you more of yourself. Sex and enjoyment in their proper exercise always draws us out of ourselves to bond with one another to bond with another. In sexual immorality, and drunkenness, instead of being truly open, we are retreating more and more away from being exposed to the gaze of others. We're retreating more and more from union, and we're practicing less and less self-control. But Peter invites us here to seek a way of living that allows us to be drawn out of ourselves, that allows us to be truly open and not hidden from other people, to live in pursuit of self-mastery and love for others that creates union. The end of marriages, the end of friendship, the end, the telos, Of adoption and parenting, the end of covenant membership even, is union. Right? These these are all shadows of our greater union with Christ. And the life that Peter encourages here is one of self-controlled and sober prayer. Hospitality without complaining. Intentional diligent, strenuous love (laughs) that covers the sins of others and loving service through our gifts. And I can tell you this, we cannot exercise these things. We cannot grow in our self-mastery outside of real relationship. We can only work, we can only work out our self-mastering in relationships and places of gravity, weight, and significance with the people in our parish, the people in our neighborhood, our coworkers, our spouses, our children, our friends' spouses, our friends' children. In order to grow, we must devote ourselves to formative contexts where the heat is greater and the responsibility is weighted and more real. The places of difficulty are places of gravity. That's part of what makes them matter. That's part of what makes them so important. Living in COVID, discussing racial inequity, seeking reconciliation, forgiving one another with that earnest love that covers sins, walking through suffering together. These are the places of gravity where we can grow into kings and queens as we exercise self-control in loving one another. What would it look like? if we began more and more to speak the oracles, the the words of God to one another? What if we began to pray through the Psalms so regularly that speaking to one another in hymns and Psalms became second nature? What What if we as parishes confessed and repented over where we've been most likely to grumble about parish life and withhold hospitality? Who could we love in our neighborhoods with greater diligence? Who could we love in our parishes with greater diligence and intention? Could it be that one of the reasons it's hard for you to love hard for you to love others is because you're so preoccupied with yourself and your problems. This is the invitation to engage in greater depth self-control and self-mastery so that we would be truly priests at the gate in God's kingdom. And that God's kingdom would come more and more here and in our neighborhood and in our city. And I know that this kind of charge makes makes a lot of us feel like I I I don't know I don't know how to engage this. Again, the gravity, those relationships in your parish, the difficult relationships in life, the important and significant relationships in life, that is where we start. Mastering ourselves, sharpening ourselves, devoting ourselves to diligence in prayer, in hospitality, in love, in forgiveness. God has given us everything in Christ to live lives of self-control. Through the incarnation of Christ, his life, death, resurrection, and ascension through Pentecost and the outpouring of God's Spirit on his church. The Father has given eternal provision to the world, eternal provision to his people. Christ came specifically in the flesh to redeem the flesh. He came in the body to redeem the body. He will give us everything that we need. He has given us everything we need to rule with him rule ourselves with him and he will see to our cultivation as his people. We can trust him. To him be glory, power, dominion forever and ever. So, Sojourn, let's pray this together from the Book of Common Prayer. Lord Jesus, Master Carpenter of Nazareth, on the cross, Through wood and nails, you wrought our full salvation. Wield well your tools and us, your workshop, that we who come to you rough-hewn may be fashioned into a truer beauty by your hand in wisdom, in holiness, in self-control, in love. We ask this in the name of Christ, who with the Father and the Holy Spirit live and reign one God,
0: world without end. Amen. God bless you, sojourn.